Hey everyone, I'm George Davis, and I too want to welcome you to this service of the Hershey Free Church. And thanks, Mark, for sharing your story, and I'm going to pray with you that you're going to have an opportunity to continue that conversation. Mark's story is right in line with what we've been talking about as we've launched into the fall, the, uh, an emphasis on building bridges with others. With that in mind, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. By the way, as you're turning there, I'm sure you realize we're nearing an election, and this is a good time to remind you that you need to register to vote if you haven't registered already. In Pennsylvania, that deadline is October 19th, so I want to encourage you to do that. As I was uh, kind of reading some of the news this week after the vice presidential debate, I was, I was intrigued by a couple of columns that both raised the same concern. They complained about politicians, about candidates who, who don't actually answer the questions that they are asked. Perhaps you've experienced that during this campaign season as well. And I'm sure we've experienced that not simply in politics, but also in person. You've had some conversation where you've been talking to your parents, or you've been talking to a child, or boss, or coworker, and they never actually get around to answering the question that you've asked. And you're thinking to yourself, just answer the question. I bring that up because as we come back to this series, uh, we're going to be reminded of the fact that in the Gospels, Jesus can be that person who doesn't actually answer the question. Jesus can be that person who redirects the conversation, often by asking another question. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those scenes where he does just that. As I said, we're continuing this series entitled Build a Bridge. We're talking about building bridges um, with one another and with others. Obviously, this is a season right now where we've experienced greater physical isolation because of COVID-19. It also seems to be a cultural moment where we are more divided, more polarized than usual. Yet in the midst of, of what we're going through as a church community, as followers of Christ, we're really seeking to live differently. We're seeking to live as people who are building bridges with others people who are willing to take faith-stretching next steps in our relationships with the people around us. And so once again, I want to invite you to be a part of what we're doing this academic year as a church. I want to invite you to be a bridge builder with us, to be open to the opportunities that God is giving you to build bridges with others. If you haven't done so already, I want to encourage you to go to hfcinfo.com. There's a Building Bridges tab there, and under that tab, you'll find a commitment card. I'm going to ask you to fill that out, even today. Just take out your phone, go to hfcinfo.com, and fill out that commitment card so you're, you're willing to say, I want to be a part of what we are doing together as a church. Now, as we've been talking about building bridges uh, over the last few weeks, uh, last week we started talking about certain skills, habits, patterns that, that we need to do well if we are going to build bridges with others. Last week we began by talking about really seeing people. And as we observed last week, there's a difference between seeing people and really seeing people. And to really see people is to see with compassion. To really see people is, is to be willing to slow down in relationships and actually listen to someone else. So last week we talked about seeing this Sunday. Today we're talking about serving. It's, it's a skill that 
a habit that's really part of the bridge building process. As we, as we get to know people, as we actually see them, we'll also at times have the opportunity to serve, to encourage, to help, to build into that relationship, to be a true friend. Now, as, as we talk about this this morning, we're going to look at a, a very familiar story that Jesus tells about serving. Uh, it's the story we know is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, I think at this point, most of us would probably say, well, you know what, George, I already know that if I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to love others. I'm supposed to serve others. Furthermore, George, I already know the story of the Good Samaritan. You even referenced it last week, and, and that's right, I did. It's a, right, it's a very familiar story. Jesus tells a story about a guy who's mugged along the highway. Two religious leaders come by, and they don't offer assistance, but it, it's ultimately a Samaritan who comes by and renders aid. It's a very familiar story. So I realize at this point, you might be saying, George, I already know this already. Christians are supposed to serve. I know the Good Samaritan story. But, whoa, before you reach for that dial, before you start to turn this off, Let's not lose sight of the tension that is actually in this very familiar story. To show you what I mean, I want us to go back and actually pay careful attention to the context in which this story is told. So let's look at the setting of this parable, and that now brings us to Luke chapter 10. And here's the setting that leads to Jesus telling this story. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now let's pay attention to what's actually going on here in this conversation. Right, this this, uh, lawyer, this one individual who's obviously skilled in understanding the law, comes up to Jesus, and he comes to test him. (laughs) Yet once again, this is one of those places where Jesus redirects the conversation. Jesus doesn't directly answer the question. He, he replies with a different question. <laughs> and it's, it's probably one of those places where you want to say, come on, Jesus, just answer the question. Don't you know how frustrating it is if you don't answer what you've been asked? Why does Jesus do that? Well, I think the answer is this. Jesus didn't want to s- simply give this guy information. He actually wants to challenge and reshape this guy's categories. So let me show you how he does that. First, as as you look at this text, notice that this guy comes asking about eternal life. Most likely, I think he's already familiar with some of the teachings of Jesus. When we read the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, uh, central to his teaching is his proclamation about the kingdom of God, God's new reality, his teaching about eternal life and what it means to be in relationship with God. And I'm sure Jesus' teaching had fostered a lot of ongoing conversation about how to relate to God and how we are to relate to others. So this lawyer comes with these kinds of questions in mind. So he, he asked Jesus about eternal life. But then Jesus turns the tables. And in essence, Jesus says this, look, since you are an expert in the law, what does the law say? 
And then this lawyer appropriately quotes these two verses from the Old Testament, right? Love, love God and, and love others. Now understand, this is, this is a great answer. This is a robust answer. These, these two verses really do summarize the law. And Jesus acknowledges that. But, but here's the reality of what's going on. I think the, the lawyer understands the law But he doesn't understand that it all points to Christ. Remember in Matthew 5, Jesus says, look, all of the Old Testament law, it points to me. All of the Old Testament law is ultimately anticipating what I do. It is fulfilled in me, and the law is incomplete without me. So I think the the lawyer understands the content of the law. He simply doesn't understand its direction. He doesn't understand where the law is headed. Consequently, he interprets the law in a very self-sufficient way. This is what I have to do on my own to be in relationship with God. So Jesus, in essence, says, okay, if this is how you're going to interpret the law, you go, you go and just do it. And I think it's at this point, <laughs> it's at this point that the lawyer now realizes that the tables have been turned and he is the one who is being tested. He is the one who's being challenged. He realizes his approach is now being questioned. So he asks a follow-up question himself to justify himself. So who is my neighbor? Now here's what's what's going on in this passage. I think this guy has come with a self-sufficient attitude. I can maintain my relationship with God on my own. And with that sense of self-sufficiency, has also come a sense of superiority. If I'm maintaining this on my own, only certain people are worthy of my friendship, my support, my encouragement. That's why he asked, who is my neighbor? That question isn't simply about who is my neighbor. It also includes the question, and whom can I avoid? Who are the people that I can overlook? Who are the people that I can leave out. So Jesus Jesus then tells this very familiar story. But once again, he tells the story not simply to give information, not simply to answer a question, but he tells it to force this individual to rethink his categories. And I think that's why the hero of the story is a Samaritan. Remember, this was the group that was widely despised as being outsiders by Jews in the first century. It was a group considered to be heretical in their belief system by Jews in the first century. And, 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 and a Samaritan intentionally becomes the hero of the story because Jesus is wanting this guy to rethink his understanding of how we relate to God and, and how we relate to other people. To understand really the the tension in this story of what this lawyer is experiencing, imagine you having this conversation with Jesus even now. I mentioned mentioned before, right, it's an election season. I don't have to remind you of that. I think a lot of us are just ready for for this to be done. But as you think about this upcoming election, uh, think about the group of people in this election process (laughs) that annoy you the most. 
Just, you don't have to say anything out loud, but just think about that in your mind. Which group of people is really annoying you in this election process? Maybe it's members of that particular political party or supporters of that candidate or people who hold that particular view or support that particular policy or people that are responding by doing those particular things. Maybe there's certain people in your life you've had to kind of stop talking politics with or people you've unfriended on social media because they hold to those views, they're part of that group. Now think about that group, whatever that group is for you. Now imagine Jesus telling you the simple story. And imagine, imagine the hero of the story is a member of that group. And, and as you're having this conversation with him, you're kind of like, Jesus, why are you telling the story this way? And, and there's this tension, and it's like, <laughs> Jesus, you're messing with my categories. But that's exactly what he's doing in this scene. You see, what he's doing with this lawyer and what he's really doing with us is this. He's challenging us to see the depth of God's grace. And to see God's grace in such a way that it deflates our sense of self-sufficiency. And as it deflates our sense of self-sufficiency, it also deflates our sense of superiority. And that then puts us in a posture to truly serve other people. That puts us in a posture to truly build bridges with others. Even people in different life stages, people from different backgrounds, people with different viewpoints and different approaches to life. It's that posture that is grounded in grace, that posture that deflates our self-sufficiency and superiority that then positions us to serve others well. And that's really what Jesus is doing in this story. So just let that settle in for a moment. Because I think for some of us, we've got some things that need to be deflated. For some of us, at least, there's some self-sufficiency that needs to be deflated. There's a sense of superiority that needs to be depleted and deflated. And the reason is, God actually wants us to be agents of his grace. And that stuff has to be deflated so that we can be truly those people grounded in his grace who can serve others well. So just let, let, let that sink in for a moment. That what, this is what Jesus is doing. He's inviting us to a posture of grace that enables us to serve others well. With that in mind, let me just briefly make three observations from this story about what our serving others will involve and, and what our serving others will look like. First of all, what, what does this involve? Well, I think in, in terms of serving, first of all, <laughs> we need to be specific. I mean, operating out of this posture of grace, we need to be specific in serving others. Let me explain that. Think about the opening of the story again. You, you're familiar with the story, right? The man is mugged. He's left on the side of the road. Two religious leaders come by and they do nothing. They keep on walking. Now, in their defense, Jesus doesn't give us a lot of detail, but in their defense, understand their dilemma. Jesus implies that as they see this guy, they don't know if he's dead or alive. In fact, the language he uses here is the man was left half dead. The only way to know if he's dead or alive is to get closer. And if you get closer and he turns out to be dead, 
then you become ceremonially unclean. In, in Jewish tradition, you were supposed to be at least six feet away from, from a corpse. You see, as it turns out, we're not the first people to deal with social distancing. It's an ancient custom. And that was their fear, right? If, 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 if they get too close, what happens if he's dead? And all that really complicates my life. And I think that's the fear that's implied in the passage. Jesus doesn't say that specifically. But notice, when they pass by, they don't simply pass by. They pass by on the other side. They, they felt the awkwardness, the uneasiness, even the danger of, of getting closer. Yet even though there was that danger of being ritually unclean, there was actually an overriding principle in Judaism and in Jewish teaching that should have come into play here. And that is this, you you, you are to do whatever it takes to save a life. That principle was was widely recognized in Jesus' culture. In fact, my guess is if you had interviewed these guys before the journey, they, they would have said, of course, we're to love others and, and serve others, and we're to do whatever it takes to protect life. Yet they reach this moment, right, in the middle of the story. And somehow in the complexity and the uncertainty and the awkwardness of that moment, the abstract principle does not become a concrete reality. You know, even as that's true with these characters in the story, that can be true with us. You know, we can affirm, yes, we know God calls us to love others and serve others. But it may be the case that for us that that principle never actually becomes concretely applied in our lives. In fact, if I'm not careful, saying I love everyone may be an excuse for not loving someone specifically and concretely. I I was reminded of this several days ago, right? I'm working on this message. We're going to be talking about serving other people. And in the midst of that, I take a break and I actually check my email. And I got an email that reminded me of someone I met recently that, that I really need to follow up on. Someone who's gone through some changing life circumstances, circumstances you just don't need to go through alone. And, and I just want to offer to help. I don't know if the offer will be taken up, but I want to do that. And that was just, you know, that was this reminder to me, okay, it's one thing, George, to say, yeah, we need to love others, we need to serve others. It's another for this to become concrete. And even as I read that email, it was almost like God's spirit was impressing upon me, okay, George, this is an opportunity to be specific with what we are talking about. And the truth is, as we kind of live as people grounded in God's grace, we will have specific opportunities to serve others. So we need to be specific. And even as we're talking about building bridges, be open to even God's work in your life to bring specific people to mind. So we need to be specific. We also need to be realistic. And here's what I mean by that. We, we need to recognize that there is a cost involved, right? There's a cost to the Samaritan as he serves. Time, money, inconvenience. Even, even as that's true in the story, it will also be true for us as, as we build bridges and as we, in different situations, seek to be people serving others and moving into other people's lives, there, there can be a cost involved. Taking this seriously may mean simplifying my life, building more margin in so that there's, there's more room for relationships. 
Taking this seriously may mean sacrificing convenience and, and comfort. Taking this seriously may mean engaging people that are different than me. People with other priorities, who approach life differently, different backgrounds, and, and at times that, that will be uncomfortable. Remember, the, the lawyer specifically asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, with the expectation that Jesus will define that down. Define it down to only those people in my life who, who will be comfortable to interact with. But, but Jesus doesn't do that. So we need to be realistic. This, this does come with a cost. And finally, I think we, we need to be resourceful. It's interesting as you read the parable that uh, this Samaritan, when he sees the man's injuries, he bandages them and, and treats them with oil and wine. Now, once again, Jesus doesn't give us a lot of detail here, but those would be some unexpected supplies to be traveling with. Um, perhaps we are to surmise that he was a merchant of some sort. In any case, he had resources that he needed to serve this person well. And in a similar way, I think as followers of Christ, there, there are resources in our lives that can serve others in a meaningful way. In Romans 12, Paul talks about the way God has gifted us as believers to serve. And as, as he talks about that, he immediately follows that discussion with a, a conversation about loving others well, both people inside and outside the church. And I think the implication is this. God has equipped each of us to serve others well. So my question is, how, how has God gifted you? I mean, just think about this. What, what resources are at work in your life right now that can be of service to others? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's certain life experiences. Maybe it's a willingness to encourage, just a willingness to be a good friend. Or maybe you're the tool guy in your neighborhood that, that other people can come to, and you've always got the resources that people need. I've got to admit, I'm not that guy in my neighborhood. That guy lives across the street. No, for, for Rose and me, uh, the resources in our lives have, have looked differently. I mean, one of the things that we're committed to is just inviting people into our home. It's hospitality. An opportunity to build relationships and connect people with others. Now, I've got to be honest, that's looked differently during COVID, but that's still a part of our lives. So I encourage you to just think through this question for a moment. What resources has God put in my life right now? Now, there, there may be not a long list that comes to mind, or maybe you feel like you don't have much to offer, but... But trust what God has given you and just go for it. So Jesus tells us this story. You know, it, it really is, it's a story that I think in so many ways invites us to be grounded in his grace. It's a story that kind of deflates our self-sufficiency and our sense of superiority so that we're positioned to serve others well. It's a story that encourages us to be specific, to be realistic, and to be resourceful. Last week, I uh, had some friends call me. Uh, we've known each other for multiple decades. And as we were catching up on the phone, my mind went back to a scene 20 years ago. Because um, a little over 20 years ago, I was going through a really hard season in life. 
it was an unexpected season of unemployment, and uh, I didn't always handle that well. And this couple in that season served me well. Through what they did, they were just a great encouragement. And even as we were on the phone catching up, my mind just went back to just a certain sense of deep appreciation and joy as I reflected on, on how they had been part of my life, particularly 20 years ago. And you know, after I got off the phone and was reflecting on that conversation, I, I thought about the ending to the scene in Luke chapter 10. And it's like God was just speaking to me with the way this section closes. Go and do thou likewise. Go and do thou likewise. And I thought, you know, in 20 years, I would love for someone to look back and think about me the way I think about that couple. Wouldn't that be great in your life as well? Wouldn't it be great if there were someone, maybe just one person, that in 20 years from now, would be able to look back at this season and think about the craziness of 2020 and all of this COVID. But even as they thought about the craziness, the uncertainty, the hardship, the weight of this season, they also thought about you. And they thought about the way you had served them. The way you had been a good friend. (laughs) The way you had used the resources in your life, whatever they may be to truly be for them. That's what Jesus is inviting us to do. He's inviting us to build bridges. He's inviting us to be people who see, really see other people, and in the context of those relationships, who are willing to serve, to be agents of his grace. That's his invitation to us right now, even in the midst of all that we're going through. With that in mind, would you join me in prayer? So gracious God, we come to this very familiar story, the story of the Good Samaritan. Yet behind that story is also this scene of great tension, a scene where this lawyer is is having his categories challenged and pushed. And Father, I pray that uh, even today, that perhaps for some of us, our our thinking needs to be challenged in a fresh way by this story. This story that uh, moves us beyond self-sufficiency and superiority and really puts us in a posture of grace that really opens us up to serve others. Father, I pray we would be open to that. And I pray that even now, if there are specific relationships that we need to be attuned to, I pray that your spirit would just bring those to mind. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.